Hi, welcome to Siblinghood of Recovery. Welcome to episode four. This episode is on shame. Yes, it's on shame. Um, one of the things that I'd like to just kind of organize a bit is that I am going to have a couple of episodes that are going to be data packed, as you can see, and other episodes will be more experiential to hopefully offer some of my journey and uh, relate to whatever you're going through out there. But that leads me to what happens when you, as a parent, are realizing that your child is um, taking drugs and it's become such a problem that that therapy and possibly a therapeutic boarding school has to be considered. Uh, this has been an interesting journey for me personally. It's one that I thank God that I started and that I'm still on. And had you told me that when I was holding my baby in my arms, I would have been like, no way, no way. I don't have the strength for that. Please, Lord, don't let that happen to me. And, um, but it did. And so here I am. And one of the reasons I want to address shame uh, straight on in the beginning of this podcast is because it has to be thought of from the get-go. I now hold my head so high because I'm so incredibly in awe of the work that my son is doing. Equally, I'm in awe of how his younger sibling is handling it. We don't walk around, um, not talking about it. And, um, although we talk about supporting each other, or we check in with each other sometimes, the feelings aspect of it all, I think, are held ironically much more privately than they were when the chaos was all around us. And I'm okay with that. I think they are too. Uh, Last I checked, they are. Although I don't check a lot, (laughs) which is part of the, that's part of that self-efficacy, self-agency, self-regulation. There's, there's ironically more of a focus on our own self-awareness and self-health, but back to shame. All right. So, um, when I, when I was thinking about creating this podcast, one of the sentences, I don't know if you've ever had this idea or this cause or this purpose that's ever just kind of gripped you And this one gripped me like, almost like, you know, that's my dog dude, just in case you hear that. But, um, he's, he's very humbling. Duke is a very humbling dog because I can say something, what I think is really profound. And then he breathes in and out like, oh my gosh, that's the best he got. (laughs) So there is that. But when I was thinking about this and, um, pontificating about capturing my thoughts, a sentence was just almost, it, it feels like, it felt like it was given to me. And it was, grace walks the halls of addiction. 
And the reason I feel that way is, um, the addicts that I, that I know and I'm starting to know and I'm, and I'm learning about in their recovery journey, it makes mine look like, I don't know, just a walk in the park. There are, and what's interesting about having a son in recovery and getting to know the, the boarding school and the therapists that work there is you realize that addiction has many different aspects of it that are, that are really difficult to define. Um, putting descriptions or definitions to a person's addiction profile it's challenging because everybody is different. With our situation, there is a lot of genetic disposition to addiction. There is um, circumstantial. There are mental illness challenges too that, that kind of influenced what was going on. The addiction at the genetic level was much more prevalent than the mental, um, the mental illness. But even so it's almost like, you know, I hate to demean it, but it's almost like baking a cake. Every cake is different. Every recipe is different. So as we navigated through learning all of this, in addition to gaining all this information, reading all this material, talking to all these people, there is the aspect of the family as it's presented to the community. It is not the family ideal that we're given, whether it's through books, expectations, through schooling, through church, through community pamphlets that say, Hey, this is, this is what your family looks like, right? You see the pictures, you see the verbiage. And our family and my family as it exists today, it doesn't look like that. So there's this aspect of, you know, pride and shame and um, what we are supposed to do on this road. So <laughs> I wish I had the ability to kind of say to myself, um, you know, a couple of years ago, Angie, you, you got to tackle shame head on on this one. And I am very fortunate that I'm a pretty solid person in regard if I, in regards to if I have to do a job, I will get my hands dirty and I'll get it done. So I took this, this situation and I took this challenge and I said, you know what? I've got to learn everything I can about it. I've got to start taking in all this information. I've got to start taking a hard look in the mirror. I mentioned this pretty much every podcast so far, even though I've only done four. But yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm being taught. I'm learning. I'm gathering all this info. And meanwhile, I'm having to tell people that my family has changed significantly. Where's your son? Well, He's not here. He's in recovery. And now I say he's in a therapeutic boarding school because it's true. <laughs> he's, he's 
at a residence. He's getting therapy. He's going through the steps. And I mentioned that too. And I also mentioned, as am I. And what I've learned is if I have this presence where I'm saying what's going on in my life and I'm comfortable with it, the other person actually feels more comfortable right off the bat. And 99.9% of the time, I get a story about who they know that's also going through the same challenges. If we approach things, especially as parents, looking at our own lives through the lens of another person's opinion, it's, it's a false, it's a false narrative. It's a false reality. And here's the irony, right? We might think we know what other people are thinking, but we don't. We don't know what somebody's thinking until we say, Hey, what are you thinking? Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, easily talk about social media that could, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even give social media in the negative or the positive that much time because that again is subjective, right? I look at social media. I keep it positive. I try to stay away from divisiveness and conflict. And I try to take on an opportunity to connect and to learn through social media. Yeah, I, I see things that frustrate me. And I definitely stay off certain community sites that are extremely judgmental. I actually had to put a, <laughs> put a final statement on a, on a mom's community site that called out, um, some kids that were running around the neighborhood and, you know, throwing, I don't know, something like throwing cans at a, uh, a sign or, and I knew, I knew that my youngest was at the time in a circle of friends and he was, he was at a fork in the road because we had all just broken up a family. The divorce had gone final. I had to put my eldest in the therapeutic boarding school. He was alone for the first time with just me. It was chaos. It was chaos. It was a quiet chaos because the, the home had become incredibly, uh, incredibly calmer. But yet internally that, that regulation of the new normal had still not set in. And I, I commend my youngest for being honest enough with me to tell me that, you know, he was, he was about to embark on trying some drugs. It took a lot for him to do that because as younger siblings watching older siblings go through the process of getting into a therapeutic boarding school and the parents, you know, dealing with that registration, the intervent intervention too, with my eldest son, um, I had a phenomenal therapist here in the area and he actually timed the intervention. It was like <laughs> under, it was like nine minutes, 27 seconds. I don't know. And, um, you know, the therapist looked at me and said, he's ready, you know, and by the grace of God, it went well. But, uh, yeah. So my youngest said, Hey mom, you know, I'm struggling here in his own words. 
And thus began the feeling of, okay, uh, just got eldest in a therapeutic boarding school. Now I'm looking at my youngest and dig deep. You're running a marathon. You thought it was going to be a 5k. I got to tell you, you, you actually signed up for 10. <laughs> and then when you get to 9k, you find out, no, it's going to be 25k. So that's been, um, that's been interesting. I don't know what, what kilometer I'm at or what mile I'm at. Cause, uh, right now I'm just uh, resting when I need to. And I'm, I just keep on. But one thing, you know, as, as you're dealing with this as a parent, as anyone's dealing with, with this as a parent, you quickly realize that shame and being ashamed of your circumstance it's um almost a non sequitur and it's not that it's a waste of time because somebody can say that to you and you can hear it but those words you don't feel what those words mean but what i can tell you to equate it to running a marathon it is an extra weight in your backpack that you don't need it's not going to serve you. It's not going to help you win the marathon because if you've been training for a marathon for a long time, your goal is to finish. So you've got to kind of look at that feeling that's inside of you and you have to ask yourself, how is this serving me? And this is the reason for the step programs. I go back to this and I will in every single episode. Get yourself to a room full of people who know what you're going through so they can look at you and say, yes, I get it. And as soon as you realize that there are so many other people out there that get it, make it a goal to start letting go of any sense of shame that you feel and helping yourself and helping your child because it's just not going to help you. So, um, I'll post some statistics on how many people battle addiction and look at that, look at that segment of population and know that those people are working really hard at figuring out the right way to put one step in front of the other and to live one day at a time. These phrases are said so often. But those small increments of life, of getting through that day, hopefully when you get to the point where you can have joy in those days, in those hours, they don't need to be filled up with shame. So, um, yeah, I started the journey on, uh, gosh, in 2018 is when I figured things were not going well. The official recovery journey started in January of 2020. And within less than a year, I realized that, uh, that <laughs> if I continued to live by the norms of the community in which I lived, that I would be spiritually and emotionally dead in less than a year. So I stopped that. I stopped being ashamed. And within a year and a half of me entering my recovery journey, not only did I hold my head up high and say, yes, I'm in recovery, 
I said, and I am so proud to be on this journey with my family. So, uh, yeah, I wish you that. And I wish you a community of support. And, um, yeah, when it comes to shame, nope, nope. Fix it. Talk to somebody, a licensed therapist, get that one out, do that step process. Cause, uh, you don't need that weight in your backpack. All right. So that's it for today. Hope you have a wonderful week. And, uh, I don't know. Recovery's good. One day at a time. Talk to you soon. Bye.